This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 139 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two legend females of the horse industry. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. And I have my producer, Jen, with me, as usual. How are you, Jen? Greetings. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I'm excited about these two ladies we've got up. They're from different worlds. All girls One's show. Little. One's little and one's normal, but um, it's pretty fun. It's an all-girls show, absolutely. One cares about the inside of the horse, and the other one rides the outside of the horse. How about that? I always enjoy hearing from these lady jockeys because it's it's such a segmented world still. It's one of those bastions, you know. the, The racing industry grows and changes so slowly, glacially. <laughs> it does. Yeah. You are so right. Seeped into tradition they say it really is you know it's it's changing quite a bit in the international world mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem to change that quick here in the US which is really weird because i think the united states likes to think of themselves as a progressive first yeah, world you're right. nation you're right. you know but like in the thoroughbred industry we're not we're not going to get into this with rosemary but the thoroughbred industry in the US still supports lasix and some drugs that the rest of the world rejects because it's been problematic in keeping horses racing and they they still use the whip more pervasively than most of the progressive countries that are really supporting the industry of racing horses let's put it that way not just the industry of racing but the industry of racing horses they kind of see their future and they want to keep it and so i hope the u.s will catch up with some of that yeah Yeah, because it is interesting and it's it's, and i love how our first guest is going to chat about her experiences and she's she sees american racing as having a bright future though she's not at all a you know doom and gloomer no, not at all. I mean, she would like it to progress. She's a personal trainer now. She's all about health. She wants the health for her horses, and she'll she'll talk a little bit about that too. And then, of course, we have Juliet Getty, who is always a yeah. Oh, yeah. I I learned so much talking to her, and she's going to be talking to us about something that everybody worries about for their horses too. So there we go. And we're going to get to our first guest right after this from our title sponsor, the good folks at Omega Fields. Hi, Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, Low Sugar and Starch, Omega Antioxidant, and Proventum Probiotic Soft Treats. Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition for a healthy life isn't just their slogan. It's their purpose. (music) 
Both of Rosemary Homeister's parents were jockeys, and as a result, she grew up riding horses too. Her mother trains horses at the Calder Race Course, where Rosemary won her first race as an apprentice jockey. Homeister started her career working with horses as an exercise rider and started yearlings too before beginning her riding apprenticeship in 1992. She met with great success that year, becoming the first woman to win the Eclipse Award for Outstanding Apprentice Jockey in the United States. Rosemary won 1,726 races from 12,907 starts at tracks in Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and along the east coast of the United States from Florida to New York, and was the United States' leading female jockey in wins in 2001. In 2003, she became only the fifth woman to ride in the Kentucky Derby. Well, welcome, Rosemary Homeister. I'm so glad to have you on the show. It's been a few months we've been talking. How are you? I'm doing, I'm great, Debbie. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. You've had a lot of changes going on in your life and we read a little bit about your background and everything too, but I am so glad to catch up with a busy lady like you to talk about horses. You ready to talk about horses? Yes, I am. (laughs) Well, you know, the first thing I liked when we've got a new guest on that I haven't had on before, I like to tell you, I like to hear a little bit about your horsey background growing up. Did you grow up with horses or how did you get introduced to horses? Yeah. So when I'm talking to people and they ask me that question, I I always will tell them I was basically bred right into the business (laughs) because my mom and my dad were both jockeys. So you know, from a very young age, probably at six months old, my mom put me on my first horse, not by myself, obviously, yeah. but she basically was riding through almost until she gave birth. So I've pretty much been on horses all my life and to have my mother and father be in the racing industry and growing up, you know, on the backside, you know, going to the races, it was just in my blood to be in that type of industry You know, um, I wanted to do it all through elementary school. I wanted to be a jockey and through middle school. And then once I got into high school, you know, things kind of changed. My mindset was like, I love cheerleading. I did cheerleading. I ran track. You know, I wanted to hang out with my friends. You know, your interests kind of change. And even after, um, and that's, you know, when I got into my, I think it was my senior year, computers came out, you know, and well, actually they were probably around in my middle school, eighth grade year, but by the time I hit high school and in my senior year, I was like, oh, I want to do something with computers. So I actually went to college for a year for computer programming. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, and I was actually breaking yearlings um, for my mom and my stepfather, uh, Larry Lyons, mm-hmm. on the farm. And I would go to school. I had a night job. So I was just like busy and just kind of excited about computers. But then I was starting to kind of fall in love again with the horse racing industry again. And my mom, one thing about her, she never pushed me to do anything. She said she bit her tongue the whole time I was in college because she just (laughs) wanted me to be a jockey so bad since birth, you know? Mm. And when I finally told her, I said, you know, I don't think I want to be a computer programmer. I don't think I could sit in an office all day long and, you know, just be looking at a computer screen. And she goes, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm thinking I want to get back you know, maybe be a jockey. And that was it. She was like <laughs> training me like a horse, a race horse. You know? um, she would go running with me every morning. She would have me swimming. We borrowed an equisizer from oh, yeah. uh, Clyde Martin. Dave Penna was one of the leading jockeys in the country at that time. And he would, he kind of took me under his wing and would 
you know, have me get on his equisizer and put on the races in front of me and have me, you know, ride a race, like just, you know, on a static horse, wooden mm-hmm. horse. And I was literally holding my breath and he's like, Rose, you need to breathe. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and uh, so I had a lot of good mentors around me learning how to become a jockey. So it was, it was a great experience going into racing. I had a great start. Yeah, you sure did. I mean, royalty, et cetera, but the coaching, so you enjoyed the actual learning, the muscle memory of it all and everything too, besides the riding, you, you enjoyed the actual skill set of jockey. I did. You know, when I was in 11th and 12th grade, I got into lifting weights and I actually went into a competition of bench pressing and I actually wow. won. I beat a guy actually. <laughs> Wait a minute. How big out, are you at this I point? Bench You're- tiny. I, I'm little. I mean, I'm a hundred and I was 110 pounds, I guess at that point in high school. And I, I bench pressed 130 at this competition and I won, you know, and I was, so I was getting muscular and yeah. my mom was like, okay, this is not going to work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, no, 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 no you got to be like a hundred pounds. Yeah. So she just, you know, would help me with my diet and, you know, she helped me tremendously. She would put the racing reins on the chain link fence and teach me how to do my crosses. She would put a saddle on the bale of hay before I had gotten a wooden horse, which is called an equisizer. And she would have me like prop up, you know, how we, the riders stand and just start practicing, get my muscles, my quad muscles, you know, into used to being in that position. She'd have me sit on a wall. You know how you put your back against the wall and your legs yeah. are like an L shape. A wall works sit. for about five he seconds. Would make and me then... sit there. Well, in the beginning, it was only about five, 10 seconds. I was like, Oh yeah. my God, my legs are burning, you know? And after riding for years, like now I'm a personal trainer and I could sit on that wall for like two minutes, like no oh problem. Just talking to everybody. And they're like, you are crazy. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but this is the position I'm used to for 20 something years, you know? So it was kind of funny. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I've always said pound for pound jockeys are the strongest athletes out there. And do you think I'm right? Oh, I agree. You know, I think they're strong physically and most importantly, mentally, because the racing industry, you have to be strong minded. You have to be mentally strong to be able to deal with the ups and downs of racing because it is very hard to win a race. It's easy to lose, but it's very hard to win. You know, even if you get a beat a nose or a, a length or, you know, whatever it is, every rider out there wants to win, you know, so you're in competition with everybody around you. You know, there's no partner, there's no, um, no groups doing it together. Like, you know, there's no strategy together. You are on your own. You have no friends when you're on the, that racetrack. When you're in that yes, race, you leave that starting sport. gate. You could just, you don't know them jocks. Nobody's your friend. Because you're all out for one purpose is to win that race. And you want to be strategic. You want to ride strong. You want to ride smart. And you want to get mm-hmm. to that wire first. Absolutely. So you feel like you almost had to be tougher than the guys just because uh, this was a different time. And do you, how do you flex that focus muscle? Well, you, I did. Because, you know, it is still and it always will be the sport of kings, which let me tell you, women in horse trainers and as female jockeys, we have made a lot of headway, but we're still the minor, like the minority in the group. I mean, there might only still be only 5% of female jockeys that are racing, you know, and that's very small compared to all the, the male riders that are out there. So, you know, when a 
female jockey goes to a racetrack, she might be the only girl jockey at that racetrack riding against all men at all times, you know, and we know what man wants to get beat by a woman, not many, (laughs) you know, so you have to hold your own, you have to be professional about it, you know, and you do, you have to be stronger mentally. We're never going to be as strong as a man, but Mm -hmm. we have to have that strength mentally, that strong focus, that I would, I always turned it around and it took me years to really understand this. And I did a lot of personal development, reading books and things like that. You know, I had to turn it around when, you know, people were talking about me behind my back, trying to steal my mounts, my horses that I was riding that I just finished second on, you know, you want to, I mean, as a rider, I want to, I'm going to go after that horse that was second and third. Cause I want to ride it next time out in that same spot yeah. because that's the horse that is going to be the one to beat. So when I would be in that spot, you know, there's probably five, 10 riders and their agents going to that barn the next day, yeah. you know, and you know, the, I'd go to a barn and the trainer would be like, Oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, I didn't even, you know, you cost them that race and this and that. And I'm like, you know what? I said, every rider makes a mistake or so, you know, somebody's talking about me. I would turn it around and say, Hey, really? That's awesome. I said, free publicity for me. <laughs> I said, I hope they're all talking about me. You know, ah, because, and good. it's true. It's part it, of it. It doesn't matter it. if it's good or bad publicity. Let me tell you, as long as your name is being mentioned, you're in people's minds. So yeah, I would you're, tell you're, trainers that I'm like, that. awesome, they gave me free publicity. You're going to put me back on that horse because we're going to win. You know, I would you're not tough. ever, I would not ever knock another rider. Even mm-hmm. if they bad knock me, even if they, you know, talked bad about me to the trainer, I would always say, you know what? It's somebody else's opinion and I wish them well. And I'm sure they're doing great, but I'm going to win on this horse. Yeah, good you for know, you. Was and, there a trainer that really he, gave you a break, do you think, at some point? Uh, there was a lot of trainers that, you know, really gave me a good shot. Um, when I first started in racing, my stepdad, Larry Lines, and my mom, she's still a horse trainer to this day, they gave me so much, you know, opportunity. And my mom was, let me tell you, she was my biggest backer, you know, finding me opportunities. And I started at Calder Racecourse in Florida. And my mom had called up to New Jersey to JJ Krupe and which I didn't know, but he's my second cousin. And she's like, JJ, you know, my daughter just started racing and I'd really, you know, love to, if you can help her out, you know, how, you know, how are you doing up there? And he's like, well, I got 80 horses coming into the Monmouth meet, you know, and this was in March at that time. And the Monmouth meet would start in May. And she's like, what do you think JJ? She's doing really good. You know, I think, what do you think? So he talked to his one owner, Bill Martucci, and he's the one that owned 80 of those horses that he was training at the time. Oh, wow. And they put me under contract. They talked to my agent and they actually put me under contract to write everything for them. And that gave me my big start at Monmouth Park that year. It was in 1992. And um, I won a lot of races for them. I stayed under contract, I think, for about six weeks. And my agent asked to release me because I was building momentum. I was riding Mm -hmm. Mammoth Park during the day, Atlantic City at night, um, Philadelphia Park on my days off. And he just didn't want me to be trapped in one, you know, he goes, I don't want to put all our eggs in one basket because one owner basically build a name. Mm -hmm. Right. And winning races. And so they, they said no problem, you know. And so that really gave me my big start. But there's just so many owners and trainers that helped me through the years. I mean, I'd have to Actually, it would be like a long, long list that I would love to thank so many people, mm-hmm. you know, and I just really want to thank my mom for just really believing in me 
and for giving me that mental strength and courage to actually become a female jockey, you know, a jockey and go out there and hold my own, you know, and teach me that, no, you need to toughen up. You know, my mom, she was tough. If I fell off a horse, (laughs) she's like, get up, get up before I could even have a tear. She's like, don't you cry, get up right now. And I was like, oh, I'm up, you know, like out of breath, winded, but at yeah. that moment, I did not like her. <laughs> but let me tell <laughs> Good you, thing it was your mom, when though. I started, yeah, at that moment, I was very upset with her because I wanted, I needed her to, oh, it's okay, you know, you're going to be fine. Well, when I started racing and the first time I hit the ground, right. or, you know, bucked me off or dropped me or whatever it was, I jumped up so fast because all I could hear in my head was, get up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, weird. where's my mom? Oh, you know, and I always would jump up right away and look for the horse to make sure the horse was okay. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you about the horses. Really, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what do you remember your first big win? Do you feel like there were some horses that really sprung, sprung you forward in your career? Um, in the beginning of my career, my first stake race was on a horse called um, Lasaurus for a uh-huh. trainer named Butch Richards. And I think it was $35,000 stake at Monmouth Park. Um, that season, I had, I think I won, gosh, I think 65 races at Monmouth Park. I was the leading apprentice jockey that year. I was up for the Eclipse Award. Uh, I think I won 172 races my first year of riding. And it was me and Jesus Bracha that were up for the Eclipse Award. And as history goes, he actually won the award, but they found out later that he had falsified his records and he had he was really a journeyman. And he came into this country from Venezuela and falsified his records. And so they mm-hmm. turned the turned it around and I ended up getting the Eclipse Award mm-hmm. three years later. But because my mom fought for it, she okay. says, you know, they wanted to just mail me the award. And my mom was like, nope, you are going to give her the proper um, ceremony that she deserves that you guys <laughs> didn't give her originally, that she yeah. should have won that, you know, and she, she fought for it for two years against them, you know, and they finally agreed to bring me to that, you know, that following ceremony three years later and present the Eclipse Award to me for 1992. And I think this was like in 1995, you know, and it's kind of bittersweet because I think they didn't, they really didn't want to give it to me that way. It was like kind of embarrassing for them. Wow. And when I went up on stage Um, and then I, you know, I spoke and said, thank you and stuff. I had a few of the people come up to me and say, we are so sorry that we didn't really give you the proper ceremony Mm -hmm. that we should have, because they did a video on every trainer, every owner, and every jockey that was winning the Eclipse Award at that ceremony. And they did not for me at all. They didn't do one thing. They just said, oh, and for 1992, Jockey Rosemary Holmeister. And I, at that moment, I was so excited just to get it. Yeah. But later on it, it's. And even to this day, it kind of bothers me because mm-hmm. they didn't know me. And I think they were upset with my mom because she really fought for it, which I'm glad that she did. Mm-hmm. You know, she really fought for me and my rights and they felt really bad afterwards, you know, but yeah. it's okay. It's, you know yeah, what? It happens the in the horse industry. The, that's yeah. It. It's, that's I'm telling it. you, it's a male dominated sport. So mm-hmm. you got to be yeah, tough I know. That's push what, it that's aside what... and move forward. Yeah, I wanted to have you on because of that. I mean, you you broke through so many firsts and lasts and <laughs> everything. How long yeah. was your career? How long did you stay in the um, industry? I, 
I started in 1992 and I retired in September of 2015. So amazing. I think about 20, what, 21, 22 years. That is a long time, girl. I mean, that is a long time in any industry, but that is a, yeah. that's a tough industry to remain as a jockey in all those years. So what, what do you think? Was it discipline or was it just your love of the sport or you didn't want to get Everything. into dressage or? <laughs> no, I love, I loved racing. I love learning because you never stop learning every mm. race you ride. Even if you rode the same horse again, it was going to be different. The race yeah. was going to be different. The horse is going to run different. Always the, like when you watch riders ride their style, their finesse coming down the lane. I mean, it takes tons and tons of practice. I don't care if you've been riding for a year or 30 years, you are always out there perfecting your style, perfecting your strategy, you know, looking different angles on how you're going to strategize in this race. And honestly, you could strategize all you want as a jockey. And I need to tell you this, when you leave that starting gate, it all just throw it out the window because mm-hmm. the horse could stumble out of the gate. The horse could be a speed horse and he gets shut off out of the gate. Now you're last, you know, and you have yeah. the horse running off, you know, a, a million things can happen at the start of a race. So yeah. you could have this kind of plan, but as soon as that gate opens, you got to be able to be, um, you got to be able to like re-navigate. You got to refocus and, you know, rethink, okay, that didn't work out. All right, this is what we're going to do now. Mm-hmm. You know, and then remember, you got two minds working. You got the horse's mind That's and right. you got your own mind. And let me tell you something, that 1,200 pound horse, if they decide they're going to go left, there ain't nothing you're going to do about it. <laughs> they are going to go left. So you kind of got to have to go with them and finesse them back out again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I, and you know we're not even going to go here on uh, the recent things that have happened on the racetrack with a horse jumping in somebody else's lane and horse uh, jockey coming off at the gate and really big races. We're talking Kentucky Derby and Preakness yeah. here, but I but know. how how do you correct on those things when you really don't have? I mean, you have control, but you don't really on every stride have control. Uh, do you correct yeah, you mostly by leaving alone, or you know what, how do you correct? You have, it's, you know, your dad could be the man. That would be a great question for him. What I would like to do, I always had light hands, you know, I was never hard on their mouth because they're used to grabbing the bit, being strong in the bit. And the more you pull, the faster they go, you know, and when a horse is scared or when the horse is, you know, like there's horses that you're trying to go through a hole and they're like, "Uh, no, I'm not going through there. (laughs) You know, like they're either, they either they're scared to go through. They don't, horses are like people. They have personalities. Right. They have confidence issues. Yeah. They get scared or they're bullies or they're like, yeah, we can go through that non-hole right there. I'm just going to push my way through, <laughs> you know, and they do. And sometimes you fall down because they were heels <laughs> thinking they're going through this hole that's not there. And you're like, no, 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 no. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it's just, you have to feel like I always would just feel the horse's body underneath me. If I felt like the horse is not responding to me trying to steer them and they're trying to do their own thing, a lot of times what I would do, I would just totally relax and drop the reins, just hang on to the mane until they let go of the bit, mm-hmm. until they get mm-hmm. out of that, I'm scared mode, you know, you're not going to control me, I got glazed you know, over, whatever mm-hmm. I think I'm going to do. Because the more you fight them, the more scared they get. Yes. So yeah. I would just kind of just drop the reins and I would just start talking to them. I mean, we're in the middle of a race going 30 miles an hour and I'm just like, it's okay. 
it's okay. Mm-hmm. I sometimes I pat them on the neck mm-hmm. just to like I would try to get their attention. You know, sometimes I would even take my whip, not hard, just lightly. I would just scoop it over their ears, just really mm-hmm. light. I'm like, come on, buddy. You know, just trying to get their attention. Like, Focus. hey, I'm back here. You know, yeah. and yeah. the more it worked for me. You know, sometimes I mean, when you have a horse bolting, mm-hmm. when they go blind, we call it. And they're bolting or they're going to, they're going to do it no matter what. You just basically have to drop the reins and hang on mm-hmm. because the, the more you fight them, the faster they're going to do something. That's what they you expect know? you and to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have I gone over rails a few times? Yep. Have I gotten have flipped you? over in the gate? Yep. Have I gotten in the middle dead run of going about 25 miles an hour? The horse decides to prop and cut oh. left. And I went flying and shattered my nose <laughs> because I landed nose first three times yeah. in a row, you yeah. know, bouncing off the ground. It, there's just nothing that you can do about it. You just have to yeah. hope for the best when they break out of the gate and they are going to listen to you. Yeah. Do you feel oh, that's amazing? I, I feel like I'm in a race with you right now. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> so, Do you feel like almost every horse you ride out there loves to run? No. Okay. There's horses that love it. And there's horses that hate their job, just like people. Some people love their jobs and they crave it. They can't wait to get out there. They love that competitiveness and the, you know, the, the action and the people staring at them and cheering for them. And there's horses that are timid and they're afraid and, you know, they may be talented, but the fear or the, you know, the fast pace of their heartbeat, you know, controls them in a way that they can't give you their, their perfect or their best because they're scared. And there's horses that plain just don't care. I mean, they'll go out there and they're just like, I'm just going to gallop around. I don't care how much you smooch to me and try to make me run. I'm just going to go as the pace that I want. And literally, you cannot make them go any faster than they want. You know? And then there's them horses that are determined to win no matter what. Yeah. No matter what. And, you know, it's like I said, and there's, it's, I always tell people that they are just like people. We have, they have emotions. They have feelings. They have you know, that fear factor, they have that drive or they have all that adrenaline. Like, you know, when we're in a competition or we're, you know, faced with our competition, we have that like fear. Sometimes it comes, our heart rate starts sure. pounding, you know, you know, and sometimes there's people that excel with it and there's horses that excel from that. There's horses that they don't excel from that at all, you yeah. know? So it's, you, it doesn't matter. You know, you go out there and you hope that you've got the fastest horse in the race or the best horse in the race that's going to be calm and focused and want to win that day. Yeah. And do you still ride now? Do you, do you I have do. a... My yeah. cousin, Michelle Jerucos, um, I moved to uh, Houston, Texas a mm-hmm. few years ago and she has three horses. She did have four and she lost one of her horses about a year and a half ago, which she was devastated And, but we go out to the farm, it's in Cat Springs, Texas, and it's um, actually a Pasifino farm, but she has Arabians. Mm -hmm. She has three Arabians and she, they're, she adores her horses. So my daughter, um, she loves right now. So we'll go out there maybe three times a month, you know, because it's not, it's about almost an hour away. So it's kind of like a hike to get out there and then be out there all day and then you come home, you know, and I'm just so happy that my daughter's excited mm-hmm. now to ride. And she's like, mommy, it's when cool can I thing. ride without you, you know, having her on the, you know, I keep her on a lunge line. Uh-huh. And I said, when you learn how to pick up the reins and steer, you can go. I have them. I got them. I said, <laughs> yeah, you have them. You're like, 
wave you, you got your hands up in the sky bring your hands down and she does and I've been videoing her so she could see herself and she's like mommy look I'm steering now can I do it by myself no <laughs> when I see that you're doing right I said and I put the lunge line out like really long you know because yeah. he never she's I mean so horses cute. are horses they can how old is she now I good good for you mom yeah I was gonna say people can go on your Facebook page and see this adorable photos of her but seven Thank there you. you go I'm glad you're <laughs> taking care of her and making her go through some of the paces your mom probably put you through a little bit too for oh, safety yeah yes. yeah good. yeah and I want her to learn the right way and when she is when I'm ready to let her go I want her to have that confidence but I want that confidence to go through to the horse because right. horses, they know when you're scared and when you're not. And then when they know you're scared, they're going to take advantage of you, you know, exactly. and I'm just not ready to do that yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they, they're looking for a leader all the time. And if you, you're not going to be they it, are. they'll take over. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Rose, it's so fun to talk to you. I appreciate, you know, you sharing with us and, and the listeners. And I hope we can have you back again, too, because you're a great spokesman for the for the jockeys, first of all, but for the industry as well. And I'd love to follow you a little bit more too. I know you're a fitness trainer too. And I can't imagine if anybody's near you in Texas, they wouldn't be fascinated to, to learn from you and, and get your experience. Any horse riders who want to be better riders at the core, <laughs> they could yeah. look you up. Right. And how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. So I actually, like you said, I am a personal trainer. I just started with Camp Gladiator. So I'm a CG trainer starting here in Katy, Texas. So I'm so excited to help the community to learn about health and wellness through fitness. And I have a website. It's called fit, the number two, fit to fab lifestyle.com. And they could also find me on Facebook at fit to fab lifestyle. Perfect. Thank you. Well, we'll put that in the show notes if people didn't catch that, if they're driving or mucking out stalls right now. Don't worry. It's in the show <laughs> notes and they could go Thank look you. you up. And I hope they will. And I hope you'll be back. Yes, I will. I love this. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the time. I know you're a really busy girl, so I appreciate the time carving out for us. And thanks for being on Horsemanship Radio. Cavallo horse and rider, Carol and Greg Giles, too, have been longtime supporters of the Horsemanship Radio, and we thought, you know what better way to show how their support goes than through the people who buy their boots? So we have this from Brenna Eldridge on a Facebook post. I could not be happier with my decision to transition my horse to barefoot and choosing Cavallo for his hoof protection. I always thought my horse just had bad feet and that he would always be lame barefoot until I realized that I was enabling that dependency. By allowing his feet to adapt back to the way that they were naturally intended, his feet have become strong and he now seems perfectly comfortable barefoot. With the added weight of a rider on rough terrain, I invested in my first pair of Cavallo boots. I went with the Trek boots, and they fit him perfectly. I was able to do anything that I could do in metal shoes, and I have no longer stress over him losing a metal shoe and damaging his hoof when removed. The Cavallo boots have provided him greater shock absorbencies when riding on hard ground, and so far, whether it be on trails or in the arena, he seems extremely comfortable in his boots. I do a variety of riding, including trails, gaming, and drill, and I'm excited to get into the gaming season to put 
truly those boots to test. I believe that in horsemanship, you have to pick methods that make the most sense to you. And for me, that is the naturality of barefoot and the protection of the Cavallo boots. Brenna. Juliette Getty, Ph.D., is an independent equine nutritionist with a wide U.S. and international following. Her research-based approach optimizes equine health by aligning physiology and instincts with correct feeding and nutrition practices. Dr. Getty's goal is to empower the horse person with the knowledge to provide the best nutrition for his or her horse's needs. Dr. Getty is the author of the comprehensive resource Feed Your Horse Like a Horse, as well as seven topic-centered spotlight on equine nutrition series of booklets. She also offers an informative e-newsletter, Forge for Thought. Her website, gettingequinenutrition.com, provides a world of useful information for you, you, the horse person. Well, welcome, Juliet Getty. I am so happy to have you back. How are you? My goodness, it's such a joy to be here. Thank you so much, Debbie. Well, we have like a kind of a, a standing date here. Every few months, uh, you come up with a great idea, or I have a really nagging question that I want to ask you. And it's, it's really nice to talk to the doc here. So we'd love to get a little, a little more in depth about some of the things we've sort of touched on in the past. But we really haven't delved deeply into ulcers. And that's one of those things that we've talked about, how to feed our horses so that they're a little healthier and uh, how we can help them out. But now I want to do a deep dive, if you, if you will allow me, to, um, yeah, to, to do that. So one of, one of the things that I was really worried about is we already know that um, most people can't necessarily just have their horses out on pasture you know, 24-7 as much as we want. And do you think it's possible that most horses then have ulcers if they're not turned out on pasture? Well, no. Most horses will not have ulcers as long as they have access to some type of forage. So if they're not out on pasture 24-7, they can still have access to hay 24-7. So the key is for there to be some forage, whether it be pasture or hay or a combination of both, available 24 hours a day. So that means all day, all night. There should be some left over in the morning so that you know that your horse didn't run out during the nighttime. And when you do that, then the digestive system is protected. Now, most people will go like, yeah, sure. I mean, mine gets a vacuum out, I think, overnight. <laughs> Has everything cleaned up by morning. How is that possible that he could have anything without turning into, you know, a, a pregnant gelding? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is the main concern. But ironically, when forage is restricted, the horse will hold on to body fat and may even get heavier. I mean, there have been thousands of studies on this with humans, and we have seen it with horses as well. When a horse runs out of forage, the horse goes into survival mode. If you'll think about it for a second, think of a wild horse during the winter as winter is approaching and uh, feed is becoming scarce. And so the horse's body will actually become insulin resistant. In other words, insulin will rise naturally 
in this type of scenario in order to help the horse hold on to body fat in order to survive the harsh winter. So what we are doing, in essence, is duplicating that scenario in a domesticated situation by limiting the amount of hay we offer. And when we do that, the horse's brain perceives that as, "Uh uh-oh, winter is coming, I better hold on to body fat. It's only when the horse sees that there is forage available all the time that he slows down his eating. He eats less. He eats more slowly. He doesn't inhale it. And his body condition regulates to where it's supposed to be on a healthy basis. So the best way to help an overweight horse lose weight or a a horse prevent the horse from getting too heavy is to make sure that it has access to forage all the time. Now, the forage does need to be low enough in sugar and starch and calories if the horse is all, you know, already overweight. And we can talk about that another time. But the thing is, is that not only will the horse become so stressed without having forage all the time that it uh, impacts his weight, but it also damages his digestive tract, particularly his stomach. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's where the ulcers come in. So tell us a little bit about how how ulcers corrode the stomach. It seems like it shouldn't be there for horses, even if they weren't foraging all day. What happens? Well, what many people are not aware of is that a horse's stomach is very, very different than yours and mine. It's very different than the stomach of a dog or a cat. The horse's stomach produces acid every minute of every day, 24 hours a day. Whereas our stomachs, for example, stop producing acid once we are no longer eating. So when you had breakfast this morning, your stomach released acid. And when you stopped eating, the acid machinery turned off and you're comfortable. But the horse, when the horse stops eating, the stomach um, acid-making machinery still exists and is still working. So there is always acid in the horse's stomach. So that's the first difference. And that's a real big problem in in terms of ulcer formation. But the second difference between a horse's stomach and our own is that our stomachs are lined with a thick mucus layer that protects the lining of the stomach. The horse's stomach, however, only has a mucus layer on the bottom portion. We call this the uh, glandular region. The upper portion has nothing to protect it. And so you have this constant secretion of acid combined with it sloshing around in the stomach and reaching the upper portion, and you have the recipe for an ulcer. Mm. How are those ulcers diagnosed? Do you, do, do you, let's say you've called the vet because you think you suspect there's ulcers, but how, how do they actually know that? Well, there is a procedure called a gastropo- endoscopy, excuse me, an endoscopy, which is rather a um, invasive procedure um, where they have to sedate the horse and they have to insert a tube into the horse's stomach. Uh, it's stressful for everyone uh, involved. Generally speaking, though, you can tell if a horse is at risk of an ulcer just by examining his body and his behavior. For example, a horse with an ulcer may exhibit some diarrhea, 
um, sometimes fecal liquid, which is a clear liquid that is excreted from the from the rectum after the horse has produced normal manure, but then there's some fluid following that. That's a sign of inflammation. The horse can lose weight. Mm-hmm. The horse can be very irritable and may object to being cinched, doesn't like to be touched or groomed. These are all signs. Cribbing is another one. Absolutely. Most, I would say 90% of horses that crib uh, have ulcers, maybe even higher than that. Well, yeah. We always think of the uh, cribbing as a boredom thing, but you think it's, you think it's a, it's an effort to feel their tummies hurt. Hmm? Yes. It's an effort to produce saliva. You see the horse, the reason that the horse produces acid all the time is because the horse is a grazing animal and he is meant to chew frequently. Chewing produces saliva, which is a natural antacid. So it helps him feel better. So if the horse is um, without anything to eat, he may chew on the fence posts. He may chew on himself. We see that sometimes. Um, cribbing could occur in an effort to produce more saliva. And putting a cribbing collar on a horse is really a torturous device. It does not remove the urge. It's like having an itch that you cannot scratch. It really is tormenting. So the best thing to do for a cribbing horse is to make sure that he never runs out of hay, has to always have it. And don't isolate him either because cribbing is not contagious and they need the the calming of uh, buddies in the in the pasture mm-hmm. and near them. So many people isolate them because they're afraid the other horses will start doing it. But that's not true. You don't think it's a learned behavior then from one to another? Like, hmm, okay, all right. So so behaviorally though, they're irritable, they're cinchy, they're uncomfortable with touch, maybe in the belly area or everywhere. Just about everywhere, but yeah, typically, typically in the in the belly area or behind the shoulders. They also can look poorly. They may lose some weight or muscle mass. Their uh, hair coat may be dull. They're just they're just not right, and they're in pain, and they're they don't want they don't want to work. And people sometimes blame it on them being lazy or having a poor work ethic. Horses horses have no problem with working when they feel good. And that's what we need to take care of. So some of us have, you know, grabbed for the over-the-counter, the name a few, GastroGuard, things like that. What does that do for them? Well, the first drug of choice is omeprazole, which is the brand name GastroGuard. There's also UlcerGuard, which is a lower dose. But omeprazole, what it does is it turns off the ability for the stomach to produce acid. So it turns off that acid-making machinery so that there's no acid in the stomach. And that sounds like a great cure, right? Right. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. But acid is not a pest. It's not something we want to get rid of. The acid in the stomach is there for a reason, actually two very important reasons. The first one is that stomach is absolutely necessary to start protein digestion. Mm. So the protein in your horse's hay and the horse's feed is not being digested. So your horse will actually suffer from malnutrition Mm. if you're not allowing the horse to digest protein. So that's the first one, and that's a real biggie. Uh, The second 
purpose of acid is it actually serves as the first line of defense against microorganisms that horses will very naturally consume since they eat off the ground. So it prevents them from getting uh, bacterial and uh, parasite infections. Mm -hmm. So acid is necessary. We should not be removing it or uh, neutralizing it or preventing its production. So I'm totally against omeprazole. And then let me say one more thing about it. Omeprazole actually diminishes the absorption of some key minerals, particularly calcium and magnesium. And when the horse is not absorbing these minerals, their their bones can become porous and therefore break more easily over time. Um, They may also have muscle problems where the muscles cannot relax and may spasm. And and then they may also have behavioral issues because magnesium is very important for the nervous system. So there's just so much to say. Oh my gosh! And uh, so do you? Do you actually are you, have thoroughbreds in your practice too? I mean, do you talk to some people about nutrition at the racetrack? Well, I love thoroughbreds. I've always owned thoroughbreds, and I've rescued several off the track thoroughbreds. But I don't. I don't work with racehorses as much as I would like to. And I think the reason that racehorse owners do not call me mm. is because they already know what I'm going to oh, say. Oh, I bet you're right. I mean, I've just put two and two together here with stress and the gastroguard kind of mentality of like we were trying to bring that down, that adrenaline and all the things that are going on unhealthy and then broken bones holy moly we've got broken bones and then what do race horses eat they eat a lot of grains cereal grains typically Mm -hmm. oats and they don't get as much hay as they're supposed to Mm -hmm. and cereal grains starchy feeds actually increase acid production so it makes things even worse and then um they don't want them to have hay because they may get some gas formation and get a hay belly which is not fat it's just gas Mm -hmm. so all in all the racehorse is not um is not respected as the animal that he needs to be respected for. Right. Now, I know that Dr. Getty doesn't just tell us what we're not to do. Dr. Getty tells us what we're supposed to do, too, to help the horse. So, um, you know, what's, what's your goal, then, in talking to these owners out here of how do we do that respect? I mean, you said, you said definitely getting forage to them all day long, and we have to be trustworthy that they're not going to just be bored and eat that. Do you ever, do you ever recommend stall toys, any boredom busters or anything like that so they don't use food as, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything you can give a horse to make his life happier, I'm all for, yeah. you know. I mean, get them out of the stall as much as possible. Horses do not like close um, spaces. They are not inclined to like things that are cozy. We like cozy rooms, yeah. but horses do not. They're not cave dwellers, folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah they are. <laughs> exactly. And they, they, their survival mechanism is to flee at a moment's notice when they feel frightened or spooked by anything. And if they are confined, they could feel their life is, in, uh, is threatened. It's a very stressful situation for horses, frankly. So as much as you can, let them out and let them be horses. But while they're in the stall, they need to have forage available all the time. You can use a slow feeder to, to, if, if you're concerned about the horse eating too quickly. There's lots of slow feeders around, different types of nets. Um, I like things that are on the ground if possible, unless the horse is shod. 
then of course that could become an issue. But uh, the Porter Grazer is also a nice one. The Hay Pillow, Nibble Nets, Freedom Feeders. There's a whole bunch of them. And then, and forgive me for not mentioning them all. But um, so that way the horse always has access to to something to eat. Make sure, of course, there's water always available, clean, fresh water. Mm-hmm. And then don't reach for a Meprazole. If you if your horse is currently on a Meprazole, let me just say this first. And you want to stop using it, do not just stop cold turkey because what happens when the horse is on a meprazole is that there is a rebound acid production impact mm. once you stop and the horse will produce even more acid than before, which is why if the horse is on, say, a 28-day course of a meprazole for an ulcer, oftentimes the ulcer comes back with a vengeance as soon as the, the, the drug is stopped. So uh, wean the horse off of it. Never stop cold turkey. Uh, take about two weeks to wean him slowly off of it. But if you can avoid starting it in the first place, that would be the ideal situation. So in addition to forage all the time and, you know, Really, that's the best thing. Mm-hmm. Adding something like alfalfa hay, and the amount really depends on the horse and the level of activity, but alfalfa hay is, has a natural buffering capacity, so it really is a nice way to buffer the stomach. And then there's various various supplements that are worth looking at. There's a whole variety of them. A lot of them are herbal, such as um, things that contain um, marshmallow root, uh, deglycerized licorice, slippery elm. Those are a few. There's the amino acid glutamine is also beneficial. And these things are typically in in many products that promote uh, gastric health. One thing that... Um, we don't see a lot of um, advertising for that I have promoted quite a lot is colostrum. Right. Uh, Colostrum is, and I've written an article about this in my library, so I encourage you to visit there. But colostrum is fabulous for protecting the gastrointestinal lining and healing leaky gut, which is a real problem for many horses. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'm glad you brought that up. I'd forgotten about that too. And what does the colostrum, do you think, um, do for the lining there? Is it just a a viscous healing kind of, people should maybe define, let's define colostrum for them in case they're not aware. Well, it it actually increases healthy cell proliferation or, or synthesis. And so it's wonderful for allowing the gastrointestinal lining to heal, and it just maintains the integrity. You see, with with the leaky gut syndrome, which is something that we've known about with humans for what, some time, and we're just now I'm starting to see some research in that area with horses, it's a situation where the gastrointestinal tract can become permeable, tiny little microscopic openings that allow toxins to enter the bloodstream that didn't used to be able to get there. Okay. And that is formed by, um, well, it's formed by several things. Of course, acid in the stomach that is not neutralized by saliva and the presence of forage trickles down to the remainder of the gastrointestinal tract. So that's why we can see ulcers. Um, we can see them in the, in, the, um, in the small intestine. We can see them in the large colon and the, the cecum. And so um, this acid does, does irritate the lining and can lead to leaky gut. Also, the presence of pesticides, herbicides 
chemicals and feeds can also inflame the lining to make it more porous. Mm. So colostrum helps that heal. Absolutely. Okay. So colostrum is that um, first, it's before mother's milk, but it, it, yeah, so it comes in to um, really boost the immune system of the foal or whatever the baby animal is that the colostrum is being collected from cattle, um, cows. Uh, but but is is it important, the brand, because I understand that colostrum is not very stable and getting it stabilized to be effective is the trick. Well, it has to be handled appropriately and so that it contains, uh, that it still contains many of the immunoglobulins that it originally had. I used to think that uh, adult animals could not absorb colostrum because it's too large a molecule. Um, at, you know, that the um, older the animal gets, the less likely he'd be able to absorb it. Mm-hmm. But I find that after researching this very thoroughly, that was not the case. And colostrum benefits adult animals just as much as it does uh, youngsters. And um, it's good for, for other, you know, for people and for your other pets as well. So, yes, you have to find a reputable company. Um, on my website, I do offer colostrum from a very fine organization. So right. if someone, anyone's interested in that. But um, I recommend that the horse get about uh, 20 grams of colostrum once or twice a day to help the gastrointestinal tract uh, heal in the case where there is ulcer, an ulcer suspected. And that hindgut, we can't even see, so we don't even know the extent of also, yeah, which is really scary. Do you think the horse feels like he has a just a, a stomach ache, or does he actually feel hungry from these pangs? I know we're really anthropomorphic. It's, it's hard to know, but... Well, are you talking about colonic ulcers or the stomach ulcers? A stomach ulcers is what I've. Oh, thinking, stomach yeah. ulcers. Well, when a horse is standing, let's just think about this for a second. The horse is standing in a stall waiting frantically, though he doesn't show it. You know, horses don't show when they're uncomfortable usually. Mm. That's that's because in a in a natural wild setting, a horse that looks ill is left behind by right. the rest of the herd. So it's a survival mechanism. So the horse is standing in the stall with nothing to eat, hasn't had anything since nine o'clock the night before. And um, acid is constantly bathing the stomach and there's likely ulcerations forming. And that horse is not only stressed, but in pain. Mm. And I don't know anybody who wants their horse in pain. Nobody does. Nobody does. Everybody listening to this cares and loves their horses deeply. So this is not a matter of somebody just wanting to, you know, just a nasty person neglecting their horse. That's not the case at all. Thank you. So, you know, um, the, what, what, what most people may not realize is that the horse is designed to have this forage for the reasons I mentioned all the time. And you don't need to worry about the horse eating too much. Yes, at first he will overeat. I'll never forget when I rescued my uh, precious topper. He was an off-the-track thoroughbred. And he never had hay all the time. And when he saw hay mm. constantly available – he ate. I mean, he went through a whole bale every day of hay. Took about a week, and then he finally got the message that it was always there. He started slowing down, and after a month, he was down to a third of a bale, and he stayed that way for the rest of his life. Wonderful. They self-regulate. They're they're closer they're closer to nature than we are, so we have to remember that that they um, still have all that DNA of survival in them. And overeating would be 
anti-survival. So there you go. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. Horses Horses don't get fat in a wild situation. Of course, they, they move a lot. They walk for right. many, many miles. They do what we should be doing. Exactly. Right. And so standing in a stall is, is really terrible for yeah. muscle mass and, you know, and calorie burning and Exercise builds muscle, which is more metabolically active than fat, so the metabolic rate is higher. I mean, there's just all kinds of mm -hmm. reasons why the horse needs to be moving. Mm -hmm. So we'll, you know, we're not going to go into all of that. Yes, just eat less, uh, move more is what we tell ourselves. So <laughs> if we can, if we can provide that environment for our horses, we know we've done better. But, but eat less is the this, eat less is where people get really, really messed up because eating less does not does not mean less forage. It means maybe less of your your grain that you're feeding or less of the treats that you're giving them or, right. or fewer carrots. But it never means to forage. to restrict right. forage that because that will have will backfire on you and That's cause ulcers. Yeah. And ulcers, inflammation, and and that inflammation goes to the brain, and it tells the brain to not work properly in terms of dopamine release, in terms of re receptivity to leptin. There's all kinds of issues that happen that we we inflict on our poor animal. And and sometimes we think that's a behavioral issue, and that's why I love to have you on because we need to rule out health before we can ever blame on behavioral issues. And it helps with our training too. A happier horse is going to be a lot more of a willing student and, and a lot more fun as a partner too. So Julie, Juliet, tell tell people where you can be found and all about you. Oh, sh certainly. And I have on my website, gettyequinutrition.com, I have a library. There's an article that I'd like to point people to. It talks about using something other than a meprazole for horses that are on butte, because butte can cause ulcers also. And I talk about the benefits of some other supplements. So please take a look at that. And so I, I encourage people to read and to contact me if they have any questions. Dr. Juliet Getty, thank you for being on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than The magic in Dear Monty, why does my horse refuse a jump? Monty's answer. Undoubtedly, you have overmatched him at some point. Get the fences lower, let him have fun, and rebuild his confidence. Elevate the fences gradually, attempting to discover his maximum capability. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. In the wide, wide world of sports, is it going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, July 22 through 26, 2019, Monty Special Training in Portuguese. People coming up from Brazil are welcome. July 29 through August 2nd, Monty Special Training in California in English. And then August 5 through 16 is the Gentling Wild Horses course. And then Monty travels over to England for September 28th. He'll be in Scotland first at the Scottish National Equestrian Center in Oatridge. And then he'll go down, travel down into England October 12th. He'll be at Hadlow College in Hadlow. October 18, he'll be at Hartbury College in Hartbury. And then October 20, he'll be at Myers Co. College, not in Myersboro. Don't go there. Billsboro is where you need to go for the Myers Co. College October 20 event. And you can find all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com. And you can also call the folks at Flag is Up Farms and get all this information, plus answer all of your questions. And the phone number is 805-688-6288. And by the way, if you go to the website, you'll find the phone number. So there you go. It's true. And you know what? We have a beautiful new website. (gasps) Really? Yeah, cat out of the bag. It's beautiful. We just had sort of a soft launch, and now it is blooming. It's beautiful. Oh, goody. So happy. Thank you, Yvette Duyuenville. She was she did a beautiful job. Yay. Designed designed by Yvette. There we go. <laughs> For details about today's show, you're gonna go to horsemanshipradio.com and you're gonna find links, photos, and more information about today's guest. It's episode number one thirty nine, by the way. And we love your feedback. Debbie has to do a lot of shows. Debbie's a busy woman. So if you have folks that you think, Oh, you need to talk to these people or this person on Horsemanship Radio, yes. let Debbie know. Go to go to Facebook. Like and follow Monty Roberts. Just type in there Monty Roberts and click on the one with the little blue circle. That's the official page. And type right on there. Or you can message her through Facebook and say, hey, you need to talk to this amazing person. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's not like I live on Facebook, but I kind of live on Facebook. So, you know, help me out She kind of sort of is the social media (laughs) face of Monty Roberts Online University. I am. I'm always chasing after that guy. You know what? He's in Panama right now. And I got the cutest photos. He's down there at the Lafitte Pink Eye School for Jockeys. Um, Lafitte so Pink cute. Eye has a school for jockeys in Panama. Is that amazing? Of course, he's from Panama. He's a god down there, you know, but he's a I little god. So I didn't he, it's know. So cute. <laughs> yeah, he's a retired, for those who don't know, Lafitte Pink Eye is just a, a legend in the horse racing world in the U.S. He came up here, um, you know, as a very, as a child and uh, broke and uh, became Super famous. Anyway, dad's down there and the photos are adorable that I've been putting up on social media because there's a lot of little people and my towering father, who's not really towering. Oh, that's true. He's hanging out amongst all the jockey students. (laughs) He is. He's training those guys and he's teaching them to go whipless and he's teaching them to, you know, do some hands and feet driving those horses. And so it's, it's a good thing. Cool. And if you want to follow Monty Roberts on his other social media platforms, like Twitter or Instagram, his handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And one of the things you need to do for your friends, if you haven't done it, you've done it for yourself already, I can just tell. But for your friends, you need to go to the App Store, if whether they have a, an iPhone or an Android, just gently and quietly take their phone out of their hands, perhaps while they're distracted, having a sip of Starbucks. Download the app and show them how to use it. They will thank you later. 
They will. They will. They're like, oh, I can't wait to tell somebody else also. Sounds so smart. And many thanks to our sponsors too, Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and Monty Roberts University. And be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network. That's www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs> 